or to serve in hell. That's quite a title. Better, better than what? Uh, maybe you remember, I don't know how many of you are weird like I am. I like Star Trek. Old generation. You remember the old one? Captain Kirk. Uh, yeah. And all, all the gang. Well, the original episode had one called Space Seed. In Space Seed was uh, a fellow named Khan, superior uh, person, supposedly, uh, more powerful than anybody, smarter than anybody on the Enterprise. Uh, and so he and his people that had been launched out in uh, last century, by the way, I don't know how they worked that out, but uh, back in the 1990s, I think so was supposed to happen, but uh, went out in the 1990s and had tried to take over the Enterprise and so as they held a court for him after they overcame them and Captain Kirk sentenced them to be marooned on an island. It was a desert planet that was really rough. Uh, it was going to be even difficult to survive because it was almost an uninhabitable, uninhabitable place. And uh, when he got the sentence, Khan said uh, to the captain, have you ever read Milton, Captain? And Kirk just nods, and then Scotty later, after Khan's beamed down, Scotty doesn't know the reference, and so Kirk says, the statement uh, Lucifer made when he fell into the pit, it is better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. That's from John Milton. Let me read to you John Milton's uh, actual set, section. It's lines 221 to 270. I don't know how many of you read Paradise Lost, Paradise Found. Uh, some of you are literature majors. You probably had to. Others of you probably avoided it like the plague. But uh, this is the section where that comes from. It says, and it's supposed to be Lucifer. And he divides it up, Lucifer from Satan. And they're all different people in the poem. Uh, he says this, A mind not to be changed by place or time. The mind is its own place. And in it, itself can make a heaven of hell or a hell of heaven. What matter where, if it be still the same? And what I should be, all but less than he whom thunder hath made greater. Here at least we shall be free. The Almighty hath not built here, for his envy will not drive us hence. To reign is worth ambition, though in hell. Better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. So basically he's in the poem, which is not obviously factual. You understand this, right? Uh, he, he's trying to say that Satan must have spun it in his head or to those who followed him. That somehow, even though the situation where he was wasn't as good as heaven... That somehow, even though he's not in paradise, but he's in a form of a hell, that it was better to not have to serve God since they got to rule where they were. So the awful situation was made better because they were not slaves, but they were free. Uh, let me uh, take that. What I want to do is I want to take that concept and flip it on its head. That's, I should have shown you that. That's the picture from the series. Uh, let me give you a few scriptures, the flip side of that. I want to take that idea and flip it over in opposition to Milton's argument that's made by Lucifer in that poem. In Job 2, verses 9 and 10, his wife, Job's wife, said, 
after he was struck, not only lost everything, but now he's struck with sores from his head to his foot. Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die, she says. And then he says, uh, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? That's a different concept, isn't it? The idea is, is that what would you do for God? What would you go through? Job thirteen fifteen says, Job says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. So if God destroyed me, I would I still say I trust him. That's what he's saying. In Job 19, verses 25 through 27, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. So when everything goes wrong and I rot away, I still believe. And I believe in a good God, and I believe it's all going to work out. I hope you believe these things. Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing before Nebuchadnezzar because they haven't bowed to his idol that he's erected. And now he's threatening them to burn them in the fiery furnace if they don't suddenly bow. And so this is their response. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. He's saying one way or the other. Verse 18, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. Uh, Better to serve in a hell than uh, certain things. Are you, what are you willing to go through for the cause of God? Matthew 5, verses 11 through 12. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets which were before you. What are you willing to go through for the cause of God. Uh, Acts chapter 5, uh, verse 28 through 41. Did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name? And you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and tend to bring his blood down on our head. Verse 29. But Peter said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer because they'd beaten them. Suffer shame for his name. What would you go through for the cause of God? You see, there are hells on earth. People go through some mighty, damnable, hellfire kind of experiences here. There are many. And there are hells on earth that we would rather face than other hells. There's the hell of suffering of lost loves. There's the lost love of betrayal. I mean, you can say, oh, that wouldn't bother me. Have you had it? The hell of suffering just rejection. The person you thought had committed to you wore your ring and left you. 
the hell of the death of the person you love the most in this, on this planet. There's the hell of suffering of the pain of chronic disease that it never goes away. They're always in pain. Or the hell of having an unfixable injury. Maybe you were young. Maybe you were in the military. Many military in America are walking around on a prosthetic. And it's not going to be fixed. It's done. And they're young. And 50 years from now, if they're alive, they're still going to be without that leg. There's the hell of suffering limitations. Things you just aren't allowed to do. Sometimes it comes through discrimination. Sometimes it comes by hatred. Or it can come by a defect you're born with. You just can't do a thing. And never will be able to do that thing. That's it. There's the hell of suffering of watching a beloved suffer. To watch them suffer and be able to do nothing about it. To see them suffer loneliness. You ever watch somebody just suffer from loneliness? Or to watch someone you love suffer and just die. That's a type of hell on earth. There's the hell of suffering war. Of crime. If you've been the victim of crime, some of you may have been. Maybe you've seen murder. I hope you never do see the face of murder or rape or starvation. I hope you never even see the face of cancer. But these things happen in our world. And when they happen to you, it feels like you've made a little trip into hell. So there's all kinds of hells, we would say, on earth. And yet the Bible makes it clear that there's some hells on earth that are better than facing other hells. For example, it would be better for you to lose your eye or your hand and enter life than it would be to have both eyes or both hands and enter into destruction. Joe Darian and Michael uh, Lee wrote a song back in 1965 for Man of La Mancha. And it talks about this idea of better to serve in hell when it says to dream the impossible dream, to fight the unbeatable foe, to bear with unbearable sorrow, to run where the brave dare not go, to right the unrightable wrong, to love pure and chaste from afar, to try when your arms are too weary To reach the unreachable star. This is my quest. To follow that star. No matter how hopeless. No matter how far. To fight for the right. Without question. Or pause. To be willing to march into hell. For a heavenly cause. And I know. If I'll only be true to this glorious quest. That my heart will lay peaceful and calm when I'm laid to my rest. And the world will be better for this, that one man, scorned and covered with scars, still strove with his last ounce of courage to fight 
the unbeatable foe to reach the unreachable star. That's the sentiment of what I want to talk just a few moments about now. I want to give you basically three perspectives of better to serve in hell. You'll get what I'm saying more specifically as we go. I think this is it. This is the center of the lesson. And now maybe it makes a little more sense. Better to serve in a hell on earth than to rule in a heaven on earth. Follow with me. Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't have your Bibles open, let me encourage you to go there. Hebrews 11. We're reading three different passages, beginning in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. You know why? They were killing all the boy babies, right? Nice Egyptians, right? Because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. And it's hard to look at a sweet baby's face and imagine that they were willing to let hippopotamuses eat them and crocodiles. Verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He rejected it. He would rather been in slavery, do you get it, than to work among those who were willing to kill babies. Serving where babies were killed rather than ruling in an Egyptian heaven on earth. And by the way, Egypt and their ruling class was like a heaven on earth compared to anywhere else in the world. And yet he chose to be a slave in one of the worst situations at that time. How bad does the cause of God catch you? Does it get you? Do you want to do the right thing no matter what? That's the real question here. Better to serve in a hell on earth than rejoice in a heaven on earth. Let me read on, beginning in verse 25 now. Hebrews chapter eleven twenty-five. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. So there was a lot of shenanigans going on in the Egyptian power. You see, when you get unlimited power, you get unlimited decadence. That's humanity. That's what happens. When you've got too much money and not enough morals, all kinds of bad things happen. Verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. He thought that serving the idea that the Messiah was coming to save the world, serving that cause, even though it meant he was going to be treated now as a slave in Egypt, was better than getting involved in what the Egyptians got involved in. So serving in hard labor slavery rather than rejoicing in Egyptian pleasures or their form of heaven on earth. He would rather serve in the hell on earth that Egypt was providing. Are you catching the sentiment of where Moses was? Thirdly, better to serve in a hell on earth than rebel in a heaven on earth. I'll show you what I mean by that. Beginning verse 27. By faith... He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So he left Egypt. By faith, he kept the Passover. You remember he came back, told them about the Passover. The sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn 
should touch them. Verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians intending to do so were drowned. So what did they end up doing? Now, you got to understand, there is a belief that there may have been enough slaves in Egypt to almost have overcome Egypt. Okay? In Rome, that was true. It was so true in the Roman Empire that the slaves in Rome, the city of Rome, were not allowed to wear distinctive clothing to identify them as slaves because they made up 70% of the population thereabout. If they, if they had seen that, that many slaves, they could have gotten their heads together. So they had to wear regular clothes like everybody else, so nobody knew who was a slave in Rome. Well, the same thing was likely true here in Egypt. So they could have, God could have led Moses in that position to have led a revolt in Egypt and taken over Egypt. But that would have just put them in the middle of a very sinful location. See, rather, he wanted them serving in the dry, desolate, hot desert of Sinai. Now, don't you think about where they went from. One of the nicest places, land of Goshen, out into a desert. They had plenty of water, some of the nicest land. Remember, Joseph made sure his family had that, to go out into a hot, desolate, dry desert called Sinai. Rather than rebelling in Egypt to take over their heaven on earth. So they didn't want to take over that heaven on earth. They were going to literally rather not do that. Not rebel in that heaven and on earth. You know, it's easy to rebel in your heaven on earth. You know, we stand in America. This is closest thing to heaven and earth in the world. We're the richest bunch of people on the planet. I don't care if you're struggling right now. We're the richest people on the earth. Rebelling here, it would be like rebelling in Egypt. You'd almost be better off to go to a desert. Start over there. So, I don't know if you're getting all the indications I'm trying to say. It's better to serve in hell. What does that mean? Better to serve in a hell on earth than to rule in the heaven on earth. It's better to serve in a hell on earth than to rejoice in a heaven on earth. And it's better to serve in a hell on earth than to rebel in a heaven on earth. Here's the thing. All the way through the scriptures, we are being called to be willing to suffer. Over and over and over again. But we live in such a lovely place. When we suffer a little bit, we reach for medication. No world order has ever had that before. That you could just drop an aspirin. Toothaches about a hundred years ago, not toothaches today. Of course, they did have a little bit of opium. So, uh, but Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 26 says this. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. There's not much of a reward for you. Do you follow that statement? When you have it all, you're not going to enjoy heaven like the people who didn't. Verse 25, woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Verse 26, woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Things which appear to be right side up will be turned upside down when he shows up. 
Why? Because they are upside down right now. There are too many things upside down in this world today. John Randall Dunn wrote an article in what's called Christian Science Sentinel uh, back in 1943. And it's been quoted a lot. And you probably heard the last part of this. He said, someone once asked a man, and it was written kind of as a dialogue for him. Someone once asked a man how he was, and he replied, I'm going through hell. His friend then turned around and said, well, keep on going. That's no place to stop. It's like with insanity. The only way out is through the middle of it. Uh, Vance Havner said uh, that the Council of Nicaea convened by Constantine, who was the Roman emperor at the time, and he would later, toward the end of his life, convert to Christianity in a way, and he called, of course, that's what they all did. They baptized, baptized them when they were about dead because they didn't believe in grace. Uh, so he called a, a council in 327 to resolve a contention in uh, the Iranianism, not Iranianism, Iranianism, starts with A. It's a. It was a doctrine that was held that Christ was not divine but was a created being, and he's trying to get that resolved. At the Council of Nicaea, this is the part I'm trying to get to. Stay with me. I'm just trying to give you some history here. At the Council of Nicaea, now you've got to remember, uh, there had been, the emperor just before him was Diocletian. And for the last 10 years of his reign, from 303 to 313, it had been a horrendous reign of terror on Christianity. And just to give you, these were our brothers and sisters, okay, they'll just give you a sense of how bad it was. At the Nicene Council, and these are mainly church leaders, preachers, at the Nicene Council of the 318, 318 delegates attending, fewer than 12, only 12, had not lost an eye or lost a hand or did not limp on a leg lamed by torture for their faith. 12 men out of 318. What have you been through? What have I been through? Martin Luther said this. He said, if we consider the greatness and the glory of the life that we shall have when we have risen from the dead, it would not be difficult at all for us to bear the concerns of this world. If I believe the word, I shall on the last day after the sentence has been pronounced, not only gladly have suffered ordinary temptations, insults, and imprisonment, But I shall also say, oh, that I did not throw myself under the feet of all the godless for the sake of the great glory which I now see revealed and which has come to me through the merit of Christ. Do you feel any of that? I find find this such a baby time. We, we, We quit when everything don't go right. I'm... I don't want to go to church anymore. God hadn't given me everything I wanted. And, and I'm like, but what are you willing to even do for him? We're not even talking about that. What would you do for him? We won't even do it for us. Malcolm Muldridge, Malcolm Muldridge, sorry, back in 1990 said this. Contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, 
I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my experience has been through affliction and not through happiness. Now search your heart just a second. What did you learn the most from? Your troubles or your blessings? Ecclesiastes 7, making it really clear where I'm going with this lesson now. Verses 2 through 4 says this. Better to go to the house of mourning. Are you listening? It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men. We're all going to die. Every one of us are going to the house of mourning. Better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men. And the living will take it to heart. At least for 15 minutes when you go to a funeral, you go, hmm. That soon goes away, doesn't it? Verse 3 says, sorrow is better than laughter. It's hard to believe that in our world. Everybody's about, ha, ha, ha. We got to laugh some more. Let's have another big party. Ha, ha, ha. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by a sad countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. But the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So thus, after this life is over, maybe it will be our scars and our troubles, and our trials, and our hells on earth, that we hated so much while we were here, that over there we will actually wear them proudly, that they will be our treasures. Maybe our treasures are not what we pull out of our billfold and put in the collection plate when we talk about laying up treasures in heaven. That's what we think we're talking about. And maybe that's not the treasure. Maybe those are not even it. Maybe that's not what's talking about. Maybe the treasures are the sufferings we went through for a good cause. That we went through hardships here and it gives us a great reward in heaven. Amen. That that's the blessing. Maybe it is there because what we find out there, if you're not willing to go through anything in this life, you want it always heavenly and wonderful, that maybe your heart was always here and it was never there. But if you're willing to suffer a little bit, then maybe your heart's over there. That it's okay if it doesn't turn out. This world's not my home. I'm just passing through. So yes, better to serve in hell. Better to serve in hell on earth than to rule or rejoice or rebel against the heaven that God seeks to give us. And maybe that'll unveil us. Serving in hell for a heavenly cause declares our loyalty to Christ. So choose. It's a difficult choice. I'm not saying I managed it. Haven't. Have not. But I'd like to try, wouldn't you? Amen. So if things do get worse in America, who knows? I don't know the future. Do you know the future? But maybe we will choose to serve the Lord no matter what. Amen. Wouldn't you like to think that? Even if it costs us an eye Amen. or a foot or a job. Well, if we would like to think that then, what about just day to day? Things don't go right. Can we still not? 
have a positive attitude then because aren't we living for the Lord every day, that day too? Can we not rejoice in what we do have and rejoice that we went through a little suffering here because it's just going to make that seem so much better. Amen. Isn't that going to just be so much better? Can't you just taste it almost how good it'll be? Because if you hadn't gone through anything, you don't know how to appreciate it. But if you're here tonight and you haven't been following the Lord, that's a sad situation. I don't care if you've had everything go your way. If you've had nothing but heaven on earth and you've never given your life to the Lord, you're in a sad state. Won't you give your life to the Lord, repenting of your sins, confessing the name of Christ, and coming and being baptized tonight. Won't you come if you need to while we stand and while we sing?